This is an inside joke. They call me the Chion because every time I, I teach, not every time. Yes, my wife says yes. Almost every time that I teach, you know, um, you know, I just I, I think about that, that hymn, you know, I, I can scarcely take it in. You know, and I never want to lose that. I never want to be to the point where I take what God did for granted in my life. And what he's doing. And so the, you know, the amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? I can scarcely take that. I don't understand it. And so for that reason, I'm putting the disclosure out there that if I do. Then it's okay to, to do it with me, to cry with me. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this time. I thank you for for my church, Lord God, my church family and to be able to come home, Lord, and, and share, Lord, with the married couples as, as we got to do for so many years, serving with so many of these great people, Lord, here. Uh, to have the opportunity to come back is just an amazing blessing, Lord. It's amazing what you do in our lives, God. It's amazing what you do in your church. And, and Father, I pray that tonight, God, that we would, uh, we would have an awakening in the church, Lord. An awakening in our marriage, Lord God, by by the reading of the word, Lord, by the washing of the water of the word, Lord, this evening. So may you bless your people, Lord. I thank you for all that you do, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I know we have our Bibles. Uh, if we can open up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And you can go ahead and mark that. And then turn to Genesis chapter 6. And I promise you that we will get to Ephesians chapter 5 tonight. But we're going to spend a little bit of time before we get there. It's something very important that we need to understand as a church, as Christians. You see, when Larry asked me to teach on Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 33, that, that scripture just rang a bell, you know, wait a minute, I know this scripture. I know what this is about. And, and so as I went to it and I looked it up and I was like, wow, every marriage study that I've ever heard, every marriage dinner that I've ever been to, every marriage fellowship that I've ever sat through has taught Ephesians chapter 5, 22, verse 33. Brother Dennis taught out of Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 33 a few months back. Uh, Brother Ray taught out of Ephesians 5, 22, 33. So I, was, I felt like Larry had called me out here to beat a dead horse. And guess where you guys are going next here at your very own church? Where is Pastor Joe taking you? To Ephesians chapter 5 next. And so I was sitting there going, wow, you know what, what can I bring? What can I possibly bring to the table? They've taught it already over and over and over again. The title is The Great Mystery of Marriage Revealed. Now, we're going to have a, 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 a little spin off of that tonight. Because the real mystery is why do we have to hear it over and over and over again? And we still don't get it as a church. To me, that is the greater mystery. I could understand the picture of Christ in the church. 
I could understand the hierarchy. I could understand how Christ submits to the Father and that the church submits to Christ. I could understand that marriage picture. I've been married for 34 years. And yet, I still can't get it right. And I've heard it over and over and over again. But we're going to spend a little bit of time in Ephesians 5.22 because... Hey, who made up that beat a dead horse anyway? Why are we beating on horses anyway? I don't know. But you know what I'm saying. But, you know, you can find in every generation of church history. Those that believed wholeheartedly that they were living in the last days. They would be justified in their thinking all the way back to the early church. The first believers, the very first church in the book of Acts. They would be justified in their believing of this. That they were living in the last days. They thought they would see Christ's return. You see, from the very beginning, the very first generation, man's heart has always been wicked. This is why. Jeremiah 17, 9. Right? Our hearts are desperately wicked. Man has always leaned to doing evil. You see, those that are in tune with God, those are in tune with one another. Pastor Joe's been teaching through Ephesians chapter 4. and what is, it's, There's so many one another's. A couple of weeks ago, how many one another's were there? And he even told you guys, look, you're going to get tired of hearing the one another's. But if we're in tune with one another and we're in tune with God, that we'll have our eyes fixed on the return of Jesus Christ. But you see, just like history, it would repeat itself in our generation, in our time. Those who recognize that the world that we're in is evil. We're often mocked, aren't we? If you were to go out and talk about being in the last days, that we're living in the last days. People call you many names, don't they? You're you're. You're paranoid conspiracy theorists. You're doomsdayers. You're the end of the world wackos. Look at these. What are these people prepping for? And they're mocked and they're mocked and they're mocked. Every generation has had a remnant of people that understood the evil that they lived in. Why? Because it's no different than today. It's never changed. Man's heart has never changed. Sure, there has been revivals. Sure, there, there has been amazing movements of the, of the Holy Spirit. We've seen it throughout history. The Calvary Chapel movement was an incredible movement of, with the, of the Holy Spirit. But generally speaking, man is evil. And so I think about Noah. I think about Noah in his day, in his time. Noah was the original prepper. He was the original doomsdayer. He was the original end of the world wacko, according to the world around him. But I look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 18. But because the world was so evil, listen to what God said to Noah. He said in Genesis 6, 18, that, but because of the world was so evil, I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your son's wife with you. Church, our family, our marriage, 
those that we love closest to us, our obedience and submission to God's word, it will affect them. Hearing God's voice is one thing. In fact, like I said earlier, I'm sure tonight's text in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, I'm sure that many of you here have heard that, that section of portion of Scripture over and over and over again. I guarantee you've heard it over and over. And if you're newly married, I guarantee you throughout your walk, throughout your marriage, you are going to hear that over and over and over again. But listen, to hear the word, the voice of God, to hear the word of God is different than just than obeying the word of God. You see, to hear it is one thing, but to listen and obey is another. And we see this with Noah. Noah first heard the voice of God. He heard the voice of God. And when he heard the voice of God, he listened to the voice of God. And when he listened to the voice of God, he believed in the voice of God. Faith comes by hearing. Amen. And then he applied the words that he heard in preparation of the end of his world as they knew it. Talk about going against the grain. Talk about going against popular opinion. Talk about going against what society around you deems to be right, wrong, acceptable, true. Noah went against everything that that the people around them thought. And I believe, church, that our generation... That our generation, I believe that if, if, if Noah's generation had a mold, I believe that you'd be able to just drop ours right in it. In verse 5, we'll go backwards a little bit here in the scriptures, but in Genesis 6, verse 5, this is why Noah told, um, God told Noah what he did. It says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of, of man was great in the earth. And that notice... Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We're going to read that again, church. When God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Notice that every intent of thoughts of his heart were only evil. Notice continually. And then again in verse 11 through 12 of chapter 6 of Genesis. The earth was also so corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. All flesh. Continual evil. Church, there is not a direction that we could turn anymore. Where evil hasn't made its home. It's made its home in our families. It's made its home in our in our schools. It's made its home in our government. It's made its home in our in our our leadership. Made its home in the church. They call it the progressive church. We're progressive. However, however, in Genesis chapter 6:13 I love this. And God said to Noah. God said to Noah. Underline that. Highlight that. In light of all the wickedness of all the things God said to Noah. 
And then God goes on to give him instruction over the next several verses. And he tells him what to do for his salvation and his family to build the ark. He gave him details. See, he gives God gives Noah detailed instructions of how to build the ark. How big, how, how tall, what it should have in it. And details go down to 622. And I love this church. This is our lesson tonight. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. Church tonight, I highly doubt that I stand alone. When I say I believe that we are living in some unparalleled times in world history. You see, we're living in a time that seems just right for Christ's return. Now, I want you to understand, please be clear. I am in no way saying that I have some kind of new revelation for you. I am no way saying that I am some kind of prophet or anybody special. I'm not telling you that we are the generation that will be raptured. But I will say this. And this you can quote me on. This you can take to the bank. Matthew 24 verses 37 through 39. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 37 through 39. Jesus told his disciples, look, that as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And notice, look, and and here's the sad thing. And did not know and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the son of man be. You can quote me on that one. Noah's generation could care less about his warning. Every generation since then is no different. They could care less about the message of Jesus Christ. So what's different? I'll tell you what's different. Why would I say I believe that we would fit in the very same mold? Why would I say that I believe that what Jesus said here, so will the days come just like the days of Noah? With the Son of Man will be. I'll tell you what's different. Satan has less time than ever before to try to destroy the church and to try to destroy his people. You see, we're living in times where things are moving very quickly, and I don't have to explain to you guys that. Just look around. If you have your head in the sand, take it out of the sand and just look around. Globally, we're experienced for the first time. Globally, we're experiencing for the first time. Things, these things are approaching. There are prophecies that are approaching that John wrote about in the book of Revelation. I really believe that the picture is set. It's like the table. The marriage feast, the dinner, the table is set. The silverware is on the table. The fine china is on the table. Dinner is ready to be served. The marriage feast is ready to be served. We're just waiting for the dinner bell. That's the picture of the end times. That's the picture of the last days. The table is set. The one world government with total control of, e- 
of the economy, of your social life, and even now how you think. The one world monetary system, cashless societies. Now we just walk in and out. People are lining up to get these RFID chips implanted in them because it's just such a neat trinket. And I don't know if you guys are aware, but the USA Today in June, there's an article that came out this year in June that gave Elon Musk. You guys know Elon Musk, right? Tesla guy, genius. He has a, a, a program. It's called the Neuralink program. And you can find it all over. It's no secret. It's no, it's no conspiracy. But the Neuralink program, it just got approval this year to implant these chips in human brains. In people. The program was valued at $2 billion. And when the FDA gave their approval, it went up to $5 billion instantly. People are going to be lining up for this technology and these things like it's the newest iPhone. Technology advancements that cause man to play God. To feed our pride. You know, the, I heard the other day, the, one of the pioneers of this AI, artificial intelligence, that's really been, uh, it's been around for a little bit longer than we think. It's just finally getting into our hands. We can use it. But I heard him say that perhaps someday soon coming, and it will be in our time, that AI would supposedly be able to write a new Bible with a new and proper origin of mankind. It's coming from the lips of, of the pioneers of artificial intelligence. And did you know that there are even some pastors that are already using artificial intelligence to write their sermons? Worship leaders are using artificial intelligence to write songs for them. Look it up. The writing is on the wall that Satan's time is short, church. He's relentlessly attacking the church. And what better way to attack the church than to cause damage to the church through the family. That's the key there, church. You see, the family, the godly family is standing in the way right now. A Holy Spirit-filled family is standing in the way. This is why God uses marriage and, 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 the, and the church as an example. When the church is taken out, the world's going to have its way. This is why the Apostle Paul is explaining to the Ephesian church here. What he is explaining to them, church, what we are going to read is so important for us today. There have been literally thousands of books written on the subject of marriage. Just try to scroll down, go on Amazon, try to scroll down and get to the bottom of the list of books on marriage. Dozens of new ones coming out every year. Many of them Christian writers, Christian therapists. And yet the divorce rate has been holding steady. Nothing's changing. Uh, uh, Brother Ray last month was sharing those stats. 40 to 50% of marriages, first time marriages end in divorce. And then the church, it's not much different. And second and third time marriages are greater are even higher than that. 65 to 70% of those and in divorce. I'm not sure that the problem is a lack of books. I'm not sure that the problem is a lack of resources. 
And you could say, maybe you do have an argument. You could say, while these books are necessary, because it's not one size fits all. Every marriage is different. Yes, your wife is not like my wife. Your husband is not like her husband. And you're right. You're right if you're trying to do it the world's way. You see, for the Christian marriage, church, it is one size fits all. I don't mean to be so dogmatic here tonight, church. I don't mean to sound so stern when it comes to this stuff. But for the Christian marriage, it is one size fits all. The Holy Spirit taught us that through Paul the Apostle in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. One size fits all. And as we get into the script, this section of Scripture here, you know, it's important that, that, we, that we understand that, look, Paul is speaking to Christians. Paul is speaking to a Christian marriage. And so what have we heard Pastor Joe teaching over the last few weeks as he's been going through chapter 4? So in light of chapter 4 and the beginning of verse 5, these are all prerequisites concerning Christian living, a Christian marriage. If you're going to live a Christian marriage, all these things that you guys, and I'm blessed because I was stressed out. I thought, man, I got to teach through chapter 4 because there's so much here. There's so much they got to know. But I came to realize, well, duh, Joe's teaching that. So he did half my study for me. You guys know that chapter 4 covers so much. So we'll abbreviate it tonight for the sake of time. But Paul begins chapter 4 with what? We began, and, and, and again, you know, I watched Joe study online. And, you know, the beginning talked about walking in unity. Christian marriages. Are you walking with unity with one another in the church and loneliness and gentleness are you being long-suffering with one another in the church? See, he's not speaking about marriage yet. He's speaking about your walk and the way that you are in your church. Are you exercising your spiritual gifts? Are you using them to edify the church and not yourself? To know and exercise your gifts. To lay the old man to rest. Walk in, in, in the newness he says, walk in the newness and in the freshness of Christ, putting away the lewdness. I remember when I got saved, man, it was like I was walking in a newness. There was a freshness about me from the inside. I was dead. I was decaying. I was rotting from the inside out. And when I came to Christ, I put on Christ and I began to change my, my vocabulary and things began to change. It was a freshness. It was a newness. It was a cleanness. But he says, stay away from the unclean speech. And not to grieve the Holy Spirit, he speaks of in chapter 4. Being hearers of the word, not just doers. Again, like Noah, he heard, he listened, and he acted. To let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, all of these things, church, that you have been going through. In Ephesians, you see, Paul shares with them here in, in chapter five, verses 20 through on. This is under the assumption. This is under the assumption that you are doing these things, uh, basic Christian living. 
and I, and I forget what Pastor Joe used uh, for the uh, series, uh, the body, body walk or the walk of the body or something he was speaking of over the last few weeks, you know, and how the body ought to live and walk in Ephesians chapter four and five. In chapter five, before we hit verses 22, Paul tells him, be imitators of God, walk in love, walk in the light, walk in the spirit, bear its fruit. And again, stay away from the uncleanness, the fornication, the covetousness, the foolish talk, the coarse jesting, and have no part or fellowship with unfruitful works of those who live in darkness. Again, church, we are assuming tonight that we are walking in the spirit. We are assuming tonight, the writer here, Paul, is assuming that these people that he is addressing, as well as us, that we are walking circumspectly, Speckly, but not as fools, but as wise. He's assuming that we are understanding what the will of the Lord is. He is assuming that we are understanding that the days, look, that the days are evil. Ephesians chapter 5, that the days are evil. Just like the time of Noah. Understanding what the Lord, what the will of the Lord is. Being sober minded, filled with the spirit. And I love this. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and melody. How are we to speak to one another? And lastly, giving thanks for all things to God. And here's the key. This is verse 21 of Ephesians 5. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is practical Christian living, whether you're married or not. However, start with the wives. Just kidding. However, the woman or wife that has a problem with these things has a problem to submitting, have a problem with submitting to the Lord. If you have a problem with all of these things that we have, Pastor Joe has been taking us through, For the last three weeks, the last four weeks, you're the bickerer, you're the backbiter, you're the coarse gesturer, you're all these things. Then you you don't have a problem with your husband. You have a problem with submitting to the Lord. And if you cannot submit to the Lord, wives, how in the world are you going to submit to that raunchy, noisy, smelly caveman that's sitting next to you? How in the world? See, I could say that because my wife's not sitting next to me. Well, it would be difficult. It would be difficult. This takes supernatural power. This takes walking in the spirit. Because you cannot submit to that thing next to you. I understand. I have selective hearing. This is what my wife tells me. I'm not sure what that means, but... Apparently, I have selective hearing. I'm messy. I make unpleasant noises and I have unpleasant smells sometimes, right? I don't make good choices all the time. And God expects that that the wife would be submissive to this thing. That is the mystery of marriage. (laughs) The man, the husband that has a problem with submitting to the Lord. And these things, how in the world are you going to love and cherish and wash with the water of the word. How are you going to love her 
if, if you don't even, if you're not even uh, in submission to God. You see, you can't care for her. You can't love her. You can't nurture her in a godly way. If you're not submitted to God and you're not walking in these ways, how in the world are you going to do what you have to do with that beautiful woman sitting next to you? I left out the word cave in front of woman. So in light of these things, so in light of all this, now we arrive to Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verse 22. You see, Paul focuses on the marriage now in the church. Important to understand. Christian marriage. Let's look at verses uh, 22 through 24 of Ephesians as we turn there. It says now in verse 22, you guys could probably quote this by now, I would imagine. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives and their own husbands uh, in everything. Wives, who are you to submit to? Your own husbands. Nobody else. The Lord and your husband. This is assuming, right? That they are already submitting to the Lord. It's hard to ask a wife to submit to a husband if he's not submitting to the Lord. Why? Because this is God's way. <clears throat> what if he's not submitting to the Lord? What if you disagree with your husband? What if you don't think what he's saying is right or doing is right? And 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 you, do you have to still submit to your husband? It says here that in everything. Wives, I'm sorry to say this is God's way. It's not a very popular thing in today's culture, especially with all this equality stuff. And a lot of this, I'm, you know, I, I'm OK with with some feminism. I get it. You should treat a woman right. She should be treated equally as you. But this stuff is feminism on steroids. Literally now. We don't know what's going on. But, but the word submission to the wife, it's, if you're ungodly. The word submission to the wife, if you are ungodly, this is a degrading word. But for the godly, submission is a wonderful thing. You see, it really depends on your view. On your view. If you have a worldview of marriage, this is a degrading thing for the wife. But if you have a biblical view of marriage, I think of the word submission. In a worldly sense, if you have an ungodly view of marriage, if you have an ungodly, if you have a worldly marriage, that word submission, it's like, you know, uh, has Pastor Tony ever gotten you in a, in a chokehold? Any of you guys here? I've been in his chokeholds. And... And I'm tap. I'm he's. I'm submitted to him. He had his way. And, and, and in a worldly way, that's what it's like. You see a wife in submission. When you see a wife in an ungodly marriage and she's in submission, she looks like a sad, scared puppy. She looks abused. It's a horrible picture. You can tell that that man has her under his submission. But it's not a biblical submission. 
This is what he's talking about. The godly submission. And I think about the word, and, and I know I don't have a whole lot more time. Uh, I'm the only thing standing between you guys and dinner. So I'll, I'll try to finish on time. But the word submission. You see, as, as, as Christ is the head of man and man is the head of his family, of his wife, he, God, has put him on a mission and you are on a submission with him. You guys are on a mission together. That's a good thing. To change the world for Christ. It just as Christ, as he is subject, as, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands. In some things, in, in, in very few things, in very little things. No, in all things. And again, I'm, Paul's assuming here that he's speaking to Christians who are real Christians walking the walk. Not just talking the talk. And again, wives, if your husband is not in submission to the Lord, you know, the Bible says that you can win his heart over to the Lord by your submission, by your attitude. Because your husband is not in submission to the Lord and doing what he should be doing. And right, wives, it is not a loophole. There is no loopholes. I'm afraid there is no loopholes here for you, wife, wives. We don't see an exemption here for anybody. But wives, we shouldn't be looking for one. Wives, you shouldn't be looking for an exemption. You shouldn't be looking for a way out. And husbands, don't cause her to look for a loophole or a way out. We're the cause. We're the main cause of it. Look at verses 25 through 29. Husbands, love your wives just as... As Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify, cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh But what does he do? He nourishes it and he cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Man, there is no other way to put this. If we are going to love our wives the way Christ loved the church, church, we have to lay down our lives. What was Christ's purpose for coming to die? He came to die for his church. There's no easy way around it. There is no loophole for the men. I love that verse 25 in the New Living Translation says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and he gave up his life for her. Men, are we giving up our lives for our wives? We can put that on a shirt for all you wives. Husbands, give up your lives for your wives. Right? I think they would sell to women. But Christ paid the ultimate price. He paid the ultimate price for the church because he held the church in ultimate regard. Christ didn't see the church, men, as a ball and chain. And isn't that kind of an ongoing joke, right? This is my ball and chain. This is my old lady. My haina. My vieja, whatever. Right? No, Christ didn't look at the church that way. 
But men, we often do sometimes. But he saw the church, Christ saw the church as a beautiful bride that was worth dying for. Men, what does that look like for us? It looks like being her spiritual leader. I can hang. It looks like leading her to all truths of the word of God. It looks like we sanctify them. How does that look? It means that we separate them from the world, men, husbands. You see, they're supposed to be a special place for our wives. They are exclusive. Our wives should be totally exclusive priorities in our lives apart from the things of this world. She should be separated. She should be sanctified from the things of this world. Your marriage should have this this force filled around it with nothing more than you, your wife, and God. Well, what about the children? Nah, forget the children. They're going to mess things up for you. You, your wife, and God. Because if we can do that, you're going to be the best father. You're going to be the best mother. Don't worry about the children. They're they're designed to go away. We have them for a little while. They're designed to be there for a little while. But you and your wife made a commitment before the Lord. It is a covenant before God until death do us apart. And so, therefore, the wife should be exclusive and we should be sanctifying her by the word of God. We should be separating her from all the things in our life. Notice verse 28 says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Because he who loves his wife loves himself. Happy wife, happy life, basically. If we had any common sense husbands at all, we would understand that loving our wives in this capacity would bring us a reward that you could not buy. This kind of reward cannot be bought. It can't be bargained for. This kind of reward that we get in loving our wives, it is earned. It is earned by the work that we put into our marriages. And God knows how selfish men are. He knows how selfish we are. So look, he gives us the motivation there in verse 28. He says, look, look, he who loves his wife loves himself. Submitting to the Lord because we love him. Submitting to the Lord because we love him and doing what God has called us to do in our marriage. It should be enough. It shouldn't be because happy wife, happy life. It shouldn't be a selfish motive. It should be because we're walking in the spirit, because we love our God, because he died for you and me. And I want to please him. But God in here kind of shows us in verse 28 a little bit of how selfish we are. He has to tell us, look, man, love your wives. You're going to benefit. You see the wives, he just says, submit to him. You'll figure it out. But for us, it's almost like he has to dangle a carrot in front of us men. Look, if you do it, you will benefit from it. Is that what we need, church? 
However much commitment and time and affection that we give our wives, it's like giving it unto ourselves. This is why the Bible says that two become one. Verse 29 carries a very powerful message, men. And I don't want to dare try and read anything into the scriptures. But this spoke to me. For no one ever, listen to the language, okay? For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Now, why would God have to tell us that? Is there an assumption there that if we're not doing, if we're not loving our wives in that way, is there a little bit of an assumption there? No man ever hated his own body. Do you hate your wife? That's a heavy language being used there. Hate's a big, heavy word. But the Holy Spirit fills the need to show us men that by not doing what God has called us to do, by not being the husband that God has called us to be, by not loving our wife like Christ loved the church, then you might as well be hating her. Do you truly love your wife tonight, men? Look at verses 30 through 32. For we are members of his body and and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is the great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The parallel characteristics between the husband and wife and the Christ and Christ in the church is no coincidence. The model was given to us way back in the beginning in Genesis chapter two. When God created us, he created us man and woman. Not a very popular thing anymore. But I love what God said to Adam and I love what God said about the woman. He said to Adam, he says, now this is now bone of my bones when he created woman. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, Adam said, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Long before the church was born. Long before the church was born, the New Testament church, the new covenant of Jesus Christ, his blood. God would ordain this union between man and woman long before the picture of the church. You see a picture of a foreshadow of the work of Jesus Christ and his church. Even back then. You think God holds marriage in high regard? Absolutely. Church, so should we. The scripture Paul is quoting here is from Genesis and it's a picture. There is a rank, there is an order, and there is submission. That husband and wives, we both have the the responsibility to be in submission. We all need to know our place in this marriage thing. And if we can't submit to God's plan in our lives for marriage, it, it will be evident to the world around this church. I'm almost... Almost done. Looking at the clock. If I go over, Larry, will you ever ask me to come back again? But we see in verse 33, husbands, the way that we that we love or that we don't love our wives, church. Man, listen. 
the way that we love or that we don't love our wives, it will be evident. And it will be evidence of our obedience and our submission to our God that we speak so highly of, right? Man, we are so spiritual. Man, we love to go out and minister to the world. We speak so highly of our God, but yet the proof, the evidence is in our marriage of whether or not how we treat our wives, whether or not we're living that life. The evidence can't be hidden from God or the world around us. We will be judged, the Bible says, that one day we will have to present our wives. Just like Christ presented himself the church, we will present our wives. And we will be judged according to the evidence. The world, your children, and those around you that have, you have been trying to share the gospel with, they will either find you guilty of hypocrisy, or they will find you guilty of being a follower of Jesus Christ according to your marriage. And God will judge accordingly when we present our wives to him. Will she have been without wrinkle, blemish, spiritually, emotionally, physically, while taken care of? For some of us, it's sad to say, it's going to look like she came out of the same cave you did. A couple of cave people standing before God. But it don't have to be that way, church. You see, it don't have to be that way because today is a new day and we husbands have the great opportunity to make it right tonight before the Lord and before our wives and those around us submitting to God's plan and His purpose for your, for your life as a husband. Wives, you can be a great help to your husbands in doing this. This is why, wives, you were created. You were created for this very reason. To be man's helper. Because in Genesis 2.18, God told Adam that you are, men are not, man should not be alone. We were not made to be alone. And the Lord God said in verse 18, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. It wasn't just because God knew that, that we would have poor taste and our houses would look like caves. That we don't know how to dress ourselves. That we don't know how to cook or wash our clothes. No, no, no. It's nothing like that. That's the world's way of thinking. You see, you are much more, wives, much more important than dressing your husbands because they don't know how to dress. I say that because my wife buys my clothes for me. So if this shirt's funky, she did it. A husband that doesn't love his wife as Christ loves the church makes it difficult for his wife to respect him. A wife that doesn't respect her husband makes it difficult for a husband to love and give himself for her. So what comes first? Who's going to give tonight? See, if you go back to verses 20 through 21, we'll close with that. Here's the key. In Ephesians 5, verse 20 through 21, it says that if we are giving thanks always for the things to God... For all things to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And look, and if we are submitting to one another in the fear of God, that's what comes first. You see, submission, submission, submission. We all have a great responsibility to practice submission. And if we are not submitting to one another, 
If we are not getting verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God, we are going to have one heck of a time doing what, what, what Paul the Apostle here through the Holy Spirit is instructing us to do with our marriage. But just like Jesus submitted to the Father's plan and died for, our, for the church, we must also. Is it easy? Wives, is it easy to submit to that thing next to you? No, I heard a no. <laughs> is it always pleasant? No. But, it's, but wives, it's absolutely worth it. It's worth it. Husband, is it, is, is it easy to do what Paul is asking us to do? No, it's not easy, but it's worth it. And just remember this, I'll close with this, that you will never regret doing it God's way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, again for your word and this time together with your church, Lord. And uh, God, I pray that if there's anybody here, Lord, tonight, God, that that just needed to take a, a bit of a, a inventory of their heart, Lord, and the things that are there and the things that are going on and maybe the things that what's not going on, Lord, that ought to be. Father, I pray that tonight, Lord, that you would give us the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to live the way that you called us to live, to live in the spirit, Lord, to walk in the spirit, Father, and in truth, Lord. So I thank you, God, for tonight, Lord, the opportunity to come and just be with my church family, Lord. And uh, what a blessing it's been, Lord God. I just pray now, God, for the food. I pray as we uh, prepare for dinner, Lord God, that you would just bless the food, bless our fellowship together, Lord. And again, Lord, I always like to thank, Father, all those that were involved, Lord, in, in putting all this together, Lord God. So we thank you, Lord. We love you, Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Praise the Lord.